the enemy doesn't want people to know, and this is something that the enemy will try to confuse. He'll try to stumble my words, as I've done a couple of times. He'll try to say that you already know these things or they don't apply to you. Uh, I've said some of these things before. He'll say to you that I've, you've heard this before. It's the same old thing. He'll use all kinds of tactics to keep you from hearing this. This is very, very simple, but it is very, very profound. So, Father, your scripture says if we submit to you and resist the devil, he will flee. And, Father, we submit to you and all of your powers and authorities that have been bought through us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And we resist you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. You are not welcome here. We command you to leave this place. And, Father, we just ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the fullness of your spirit so that we may receive your word and so that we can all live to get along with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I need a couple of volunteers to pass out these handouts, if you don't mind. And if there's any left over, which there should be, if you could uh, leave them in the back uh, table there, because I'd like to use them for clients and things. What's that? What's that? Yes, there should be extras, yeah. Well, while they're finished passing these out, um, a number of years ago, I gave um, something like this sermon in an African-American church in Hartford, and... It was really a, a wonderful experience. It was a three-hour service. Um, I preached for about an hour, and the rest of it was worship and praise. And um, But since that time, which was probably 10 or 15 years ago, I've learned a lot since then. So instead of preaching for an hour, I'm going to probably do it for a half an hour <laughs> because uh, it's not necessarily the length, but what you focus on. So this, as you can see, is about conflict resolution skills. And this is something that I use with couples, whether they're married or trying to get married, families that are trying to get along, uh, people that are uh, maybe in work together and have a conflict at work. Um, This is something that applies to every conflict. Now, I know that none of you have any conflicts in your relationships, so this isn't exactly for you. But you can take this home, and if somebody you know has some conflicts, then you can tell them about it. You can make a copy and give it to them, you know. And I'm also going to do a little bit something different. I'm going to preach for a little bit about this, and then I'm going to give you a time to ask Uh, some questions about any of your friends that might have conflicts, because, again, I know you don't have any. 
Um, but uh, you can ask, and then you can tell them what I said to help them out. So, so there's three rules, right? Um, my favorite number three. And as you can see, the first one says, identify resentments and resolve through the grace of forgiveness. This is the first and most important step. Without this step, conflict resolution is not possible. Spiritual strongholds must be broken first. I cannot overemphasize that enough. You try to go in and resolve conflict with simple psychological skills, even if they're well-taught and you're smart enough to understand it, and you don't deal with these strongholds first, it will not work. I'll guarantee you. I uh, counseled a couple for seven months before I told them that I had nothing more for them, uh, that maybe they should go to another counselor who had a different approach, and they did, and they stayed with her for a few months, and then they stopped and they divorced. Um, And the reason that I was not able to help them is because they stayed in resentment. Uh, The one was open about the resentment. The other one was in denial of his resentment and, you know, basically didn't move. So all the tools that I have in my repertoire were ineffective, and they were ineffective because of this, because of resentment. And so I cannot overemphasize this. And this is not just me. If you notice the scriptures here, these are pretty strong scriptures. So if when you're offering your gift at the altar, you there remember that your brother has any grievance against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First make peace with your brother and then come back and present your gift. Uh, The doors are open, (laughs) you know. We could all walk out, right? We could all walk out and resolve something that we have unresolved with someone else. And, you know, the word is either true or it isn't. These are Jesus' word. He said, forget about church and deal with your conflicts. And then maybe you can go to church and receive something. I mean, think about that. Chew on that for a moment. None of us would be here. We all have conflicts. There's always unresolved resentments, even if you're not aware of it. It may be unconscious. 80% of our mind is unconscious. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to leave church. It means that we need to focus on this for the importance that it is. We need to give it its due Uh, right. We have to consider it as serious as it is. It's a spiritual stronghold. The second one is, but if you do not forgive other their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Boy, if that doesn't get you, I don't know what does. I confess my sins morning, noon, and night. And I expect because of Jesus' blood that he will forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. But, you know, you can't take scriptures out of context. That is a scripture that's true. If we confess our sins, you know, we will be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. But this is true too, and this is his word too. But if you do not forgive 
others that trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them go and giving up resentment, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's strong, right? We can't ignore that. And the third one is the one that is the one that's most important, in my opinion. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. There it is. That foothold, that stronghold in your life. Okay? And picture yourself chained, shackled, hands and feet to Satan's dungeon wall. And... His demons having the permission to torture you at will. That's where you are when you're in demonic bondage. And that's where you are when you have unforgiven resentment. You can't do anything. You can't go out and do your work. You can't resolve a conflict. You can't do anything because you're stuck. You're under His command. Now, We don't have to be under his command. And Jesus shows us how to get out of that. And it's forgiveness, right? But forgiveness isn't easy. I mean, we've been hurt deeply, all of us, wounded at the core of our being. The rug has been pulled out of our feet, out from under our feet. Fiery arrows have been struck into our heart. Our hearts have become hardened because of those wounds. And we say, no way, I'm not letting that happen again. I am not opening my heart to that kind of pain again. Nope. I'm going to put a wall around there, and that's when it becomes a stony heart. But Jesus has promised to change our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And how does he do it? When we surrender and obey his word to forgive. That's it. That's the requirement. There's no way around it. There's no games you can play. You can't trick God. This is his word. This is his truth. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Don't go to bed angry, you know. (laughs) God's got such a sense of humor. Um, My wife and I have never really fought a lot uh, in our marriage. Um, But we had some skirmishes in the beginning that are sort of typical for young couples. And they got a little bit more charged when we had children because, you know, everybody's got a view of how you're going to raise children. And we both came from different backgrounds, and I had a background where nobody yelled and nobody was angry. Anger anger was a sin. And she came from a background of, you know, hand-talking Italians who yell and scream. And and, uh, so we had some conflicts that were, you know, kind of misunderstandings at its nature, but it was hurtful. Because I I didn't know how to receive that. Now, I've learned after 32 years of marriage that that's just the way that she expresses herself. She can't hide her feelings if she wanted to. And so I understand and I overlook and and let, let it go. But when you're tired 
or when you have a headache or when you're overburdened, that's not as easy to do. So wouldn't you know it, I'm preaching on conflict resolution. What happens Friday night? We had a conflict. And I'm fully aware of the fact that I'm preaching on conflict resolution on Sunday. So I said, well, I better be practicing what I preach, right? So it was, I don't know what time it was, 10 or 11, way too late to talk about anything. And uh, my wife and I learned a long time ago, as a matter of fact, we made a deal a long time ago, no volatile subjects after eight. (laughs) Very good rule, by the way. You newlyweds, uh, very good rule. So we talked a little bit, and um, I, I really wanted, you know, to resolve it because it was disturbing to me. But I really understood that it was not going to be resolved Friday night. And the old me would have pushed it. And I've done that before in the past, and she actually fell asleep once when we were arguing. And (laughs) what do you do with that, you know? So uh, that was very frustrating, and I didn't want to go through that again. Um, She didn't do it on purpose, you know, just I talk a lot, and she was, you know, I talked her to sleep, so that's all. But um, so I decided that I just wasn't going to talk anymore. And I decided that I would save it till the next morning. So yesterday, we went to Musquamica, and uh, we had a nice drive. And I started to talk about it. And she says, you're not going to bring this up. I says, I have to. I have to, I have to tell you how I feel about this, which brings us to the next part of this, your feelings. Identify, own, and express your feelings using I statements. And it says, see the other side. That's the funny faces that show you the, the feelings. Those are feeling words. And so if you say, when this happened, I felt this way, you know, When we had this talk last night, this is how I felt. Um, Or I feel, um, and and you can also say, and I'd like it if, for future reference, okay? So that's basically what I did as we uh, drove to Musquamacut. And and there was a little tension at first, but, you know, I tried to stick to the rule of owning it and expressing how I felt about what had occurred. And... Um, after I'd got through it, I stopped. I told her what I would like, um, and I stopped. And uh, she very graciously uh, said that she was sorry and that she didn't want to add a burden to me. And I was very grateful for that and thanked her for that. But that would have never worked the night before. So, you know, that's just a personal object lesson that uh, God gave me, and Dennis knows all about those, right? Uh, and anybody else who's preached probably knows about that too, so as to make it uh, important. And again, these are not just psychological things. These are backed up from God's Word. Uh, this is one of the scriptures that I think is very important because, and and you newlyweds, um, actually I 
uh, prayed this and read this uh, at Joel and Amy's wedding. It says, My soul, wait only upon God and silently submit to Him, for my hope and expectation are from Him. Our culture teaches us that our expectation should be from another person. Oh, I can't wait to get married because then everything is going to be wonderful because you make me feel so wonderful. You make me feel complete. And I know as long as we're together, everything is going to be fine because you complete me. And the other person feels that way too. And so does Walt Disney and all the romantic (laughs) movies that we see on, on the Hollywood screen. Now, there's a grain of truth in that in the sense that that's the way God designs us to be able to get along. But the deceptive part that Satan puts in that is that you should be able to get that from another person. And my word to you is good luck because you will not, I guarantee you, you will not be able to get all of your needs met from another person no matter how wonderful they are no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how much money they make, you will not be able to get all your needs met from another person because it's not designed to be that way. Our heart has a God-shaped vacuum in it, and nothing but God can fill it. And our hearts are restless until they rest in Him. So we have to go to Him and pour out our feelings to Him. That Friday night, I went to Him. I knew I couldn't do it with her. I went to him, and I made sure that I let him know how I felt. I made sure that I forgave her then. Uh, And it's not that, you know, I didn't say things wrong, too. We were both at fault. I don't mean to indicate that. Uh, I confessed my part of it. Um, That's where we need to go. Our expectation should be of him. If our expectation is of him first and we don't expect people to be perfect, then we're not going to be so frustrated. It's what you expect and don't receive that makes you frustrated. So if you expect your partner or your coworker or your mom or your dad or your child to do something that they should do according to what the Word has said, well, I would be careful about that because you're setting yourself up for disappointment and frustration. And you're responsible for how you keep your state of soul. And we know what can happen. We can be in bondage, right? What's worth bondage? Nothing. So don't expect so much from people because if you do, you will be disappointed. You will get frustrated. If you hold on to it, you will get resentful. Now the devil has a foothold. Now you are in big trouble. Trust in him. Oh, the, the second one, it's on the same line there. The smallest sentence in the Bible Jesus wept. Jesus went through every temptation that we went through. He felt grief. He felt loneliness. He felt fear. He felt anger. And he expressed it. It's very, very important to express our feelings. There's another thing in our culture. It says, don't let them see you sweat. Never show your feelings. Try Hide your feelings, the song says. Um, that's not true. If we do it, we store it inside. 
We store it inside. That's negative energy. It builds, it builds, it builds. It becomes resentment. We're in bondage, you know? So expressing your feelings is vitally important, and, and Jesus showed us. The, the next scripture, trust in, lean on, rely on, and have confidence in Him at all time, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us, a fortress and a high tower. Selah, pause and calmly think of that. Go to God. He's with you. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Go to Him and pour out your heart. Cry. Lay down on the floor. Get on your knees. Do anything that you need to do, but tell Him how you feel. He knows how you feel already. It doesn't matter. Even if you're angry with Him, He can take it. Do you think that you're fooling Him because you're not saying it? He's omniscient. He knows you're angry at Him because He allowed something to happen to you that you don't understand why. Tell Him. And then when you, he, when you do, He says, well, it's about time we got back into talking with one another. Because until we hide it in our feelings, in our heart, we're not relating to God. Our stuff is bouncing off a, an imaginary wall because he's saying, well, that's not really what you want to say to me, is it? So tell him. Um, and, and I did the verse that I did in the uh, first one again. Go ahead. This is from the message. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. If you find yourself, let's say I stepped on your toe and you go, ouch. You know, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. Accidents happen. It's over with. But if I step on your toe and you say, ouch, and I keep standing there, I say, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Well, now the conflict is not over, right? And something has to be done to change it. So there are people, if you haven't noticed, that will stay on your toe if you let them. And we have to tell them, ouch, I said that hurts. Get off my toe. And then try to pull your foot out or call the police if you have to. But don't continue to accept something that is hurtful that will make you resentful. Now, what I'm going to tell you is something that I believe is a heresy in the church. We know the scriptures turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give the shirt off your back, right? And we know the scripture that says, forgive 70 times 70. All right, those are all true. But I believe Satan has a heresy that he's filtered into the church, and he's implied that you should turn your cheek back and forth and back and forth 70 times, seven times. He's implied that you should walk 10 extra miles. He's implied that you should go home and get your wardrobe. That is not what it means. As a matter of fact, there was a Roman law that required uh, a Hebrew person to carry a Roman soldier's armament for a mile. 
But that same law prevented the Roman soldier from asking the Hebrew servant or the Hebrew person from carrying it any more than one mile. Jesus was aware of that law. So when Jesus said, carry it the extra mile, and if he did it the extra mile, the Roman soldier scratching his head and he said, what are you doing this for? You don't have to do this. I, I can't command you to do this. So the point's made. He doesn't have to work, do it 10 miles. Because that law existed, if he goes a half a mile more, the Roman soldier's scratching his head. So it doesn't mean to go all out until you're buried and over your head because then you'll become resentful. And simply because the Scripture says 70 times 7 does not mean that you let a person hurt you 70 times 7. I guarantee you if you allow someone to hurt you 70 times 7, you'll be in resentment, you will be in bondage. Please do not misunderstand it. It's a heresy. And so I think that that's something that we get involved with because we think Christians are supposed to put up with everything. So we put up with way more than we can put up with until we're way far into resentment, and then we're in bondage, and then we're ineffective. And we walk around angry, and we talk with people about this one who did that, and after all, they did do that, and and what are we doing? We're not witnessing the joy and the peace of the Lord to those who are watching us. We're not encouraging one another living according to love and mercy the way Jesus told us to. Very, very deceptive. One more thing about the feelings before I go to the next one, the last one. Um, It's very possible, even if you use this little um, ABC tool that I've identified, let's say, um, well, I'll use the example we had. Uh, Dora, when this happened Friday night, this is how I felt and what I'd like it. Now, she said at that point, she said, now, we're not going to do this again, are we? Okay. So now the emotion that I had at the time was different. I had an emotion from the night before, and I was talking to her about that. But when she said, no, we're not going to do this again today, are we? I had another emotion. Now, the other emotion that I had was my primary emotion. And my primary emotion was defensive uh, and fear that I wouldn't be able to get my point across and that, you know, she wasn't going to listen and hear me out. And I didn't want that to happen because I wanted to have a nice day. So, and she was worried that it was going to ruin the day. So I said to her, no, I I just need to talk about this for a minute and tell you my feelings because I don't want to carry this out for the day. And then we proceeded. So when, when you're talking with someone and you're talking to them about something that happened yesterday and they look at you funny or they say something that causes you to feel something, now that's a primary emotion because it's, it's right now. That's what you need to stop and talk about. Okay, we'll talk about last night in a minute, but here's how I feel right now when you say this. I, I want to talk about this so as not 
to carry it through the day. I want to have a blessed day, and that's why I need to talk about it. So that's, that's another trap that we can get into, but that's a way out of it. Uh, the third is with regard to boundaries and limits. And this is another very, very important thing. If, if you've not ever read any of uh, uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend's books that are all about boundaries, boundaries, boundaries in marriage, boundaries with children, boundaries in dating. Uh, if you haven't read any of those books, I would encourage you to pick up any one that you might feel led to and read that. Very enlightening uh, Christian material from uh, Christian psychologists that really take it apart and show how important uh, boundaries and limitations are. So I've said, identify, own, and be honest about your boundaries and limitations. Be prepared to set up boundaries and limits. Be very careful in setting limits and boundaries. Make sure that the motive is to prevent resentment and not as a result of resentment. Now, when I teach this to clients that come to me, um, if I'm not real careful about how I present it and showing how resentment is the most powerful one, as I've tried to do here today, people will go home thinking, oh, the counselor said that I should set some boundaries and limits. So they proceed to set some boundaries and limits with whomever they have a conflict with. And they use the Christian counselor's advice as justification for doing that. And, um, you know, and then their spouse comes and is angry with me <laughs> for having encouraged them to do that. And there's a misunderstanding, obviously. Um, Again, 80% of our mind is unconscious. You may not think that you have resentment inside. You may think, and I've heard a lot of people, especially guys, say, well, well I, don't, I don't resent her. I don't resent it. I just get frustrated when she does that kind of stuff. And when I first hear that, I think, well, maybe that's true. Maybe they don't resent it. But then I see it come up again and again and again. And that's one of the ways you can identify resentment. It comes up again and again and again. It's something that you really haven't completely resolved. Because it, if you had resolved it, it wouldn't come up again and again. The only exception to that is that God is merciful. So he allows things to be done in stages, a little at a time. If we had it done all the time... If everything was exposed all at once, we'd fall over dead because it would be too, too much. So he gives us a little bit at a time so we can handle it, and we deal with that, and then we deal with the next layer when it comes up. Um, and again, Jesus' words support this. Uh, now this is Jesus doing his ministry, mind you. He's not saying no to you know, going out and doing sinful material. He says, The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, which implies that he slipped away from them and they didn't know exactly where he was. So he slipped away even from his disciples because he needed time to pray with his father. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. They said, everyone is asking for you. But he replied, we must go to the other towns as well 
and I will preach to them because that is why I came. Now picture this. Jesus had been at this town, and he had been uh, forgiving people their sins, healing people of their ailments, driving demons out, and doing the will of his Father, right? Great work. That's what God called him to do. Heal the brokenhearted, set the oppressed and the captives free. He was doing what his father to do, wanted him to do. But he slipped away, which is boundary number one. He needed time by himself and went with his father. And his father must have directed him during that time to go to the next town. Because when the disciples caught up with him and they said, hey, you know, come back. We've got, to, got more healing and work to do here. In essence, he said, no, I'm not going to go back and do that work in this town. We're going to go to this town because that's what my father wants me to do. He's saying no to a good thing. He's saying no to his mission, but he's saying no from a position of understanding that God wants him to be here. Now, Jesus is the son of God, but he's a man, and he couldn't be here and here at the same time. And in order to go here, where his father wanted him to go, he had to say, no, I'm not going to go here. Sometimes we need to learn to say no. No is a complete sentence. No is an important word to know how to say. We need to know what our boundaries are. We go beyond our boundaries. We overextend ourselves. We'll get sick. We'll get resentful. God has been teaching me that for almost three years now. It's not an easy lesson. And arising, the second scripture, and, and rising up, they pushed and drove him out of the town. And laying hold of him, they led him uh, to the projecting upper part of the cliff on which the town was built, that they might hurl him headlong down over the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. How did he do that? The whole town grabbed him because they thought he was being blasphemous. And they pushed him up to the cliff here and they were going to hurl him over. All right? If it was you and I, we'd be over the cliff. But Jesus passed through their midst and he went on his way. Do you know that Jesus... Maybe somebody else that knows the scripture better than I could find me a passage like this. But I have never seen a passage in any of scripture that said that Jesus endured abuse until the last 48 hours of his life. Does anybody know of one? He didn't, he didn't take anything from people. He didn't let him throw him over the cliff. They wanted to stone him in the temple, and he slipped away from them. They, tr- they tried to catch him in his words. He turned it around on them and made them look like fools. They, had, they set up all kinds of traps, and Jesus never let them abuse him verbally, sexually, physically, emotionally, or in any other way. That's, that's power, but power under control, which is meekness. And he said, if we want our burden to be easy and light, learn from me, for I am meek 
and humble of heart. Meek does not mean weak. When you meek when, uh, a horse, you bring that power that the horse has under control so that you can use it to ride. That's what meek means. Jesus was meek. As Dennis said last week, you know, he read that uh, part about Jesus stood up and said, I am he. And what happened? Everybody fell down. There's his power. He could have called in 12 legions of angels and taken them all out. He stood up and they fell down. He was not unpowerful. He was meek and he was humble. But he never let them abuse him until he settled it with his father. And he asked if he could do it a different way. And his father, he said, but your will be done. And he did what his father said. So then he accepted abuse. So please don't misunderstand the scripture and think that Jesus was weak and masochistic and didn't have power. He didn't allow people to abuse him 70 times 7 until the end. All throughout his life, there's no account that I know of that shows him accepting abuse. If you accept abuse, you will become resentful and you will be shackled to Satan's dungeon. And then probably one of the greatest examples of showing his anger and limit setting that um, is in the Bible is the last one. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables and the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves. He said, the scriptures declare my, te- my temple will be called a place of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Other translation says he, he made a a whip out of a cord. Um, heard another translation that says, "Zeal for my Father's house consumes me." This is an this is an example of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was angry and used his anger properly. Do you know that what you know what anger is for? Anger is meant to right a wrong. So Jesus came in and saw what they were doing in the temple, and he says, "What's this?" You get out of here. This place is a house of prayer, not for buying and selling goods. You bet he was angry. And he used his anger constructively, even though he was turning tables over and had a whip. I mean, you might have you thought differently about him if you had seen him. But that was, that was truly righteous anger. And he did something about it. He didn't just sit on it and let it stew. He said, no way. You're not sitting in my father's house doing this. You, you're out of here. And he drove him out. There is a place for anger, and it's meant to right a wrong. But please don't use it as a case for revenge. Please don't allow it to sit in your heart and fester overnight, or otherwise you will wind up like this, shackled to Satan's dungeon wall. These are some simple conflict resolution skills. They are deceptively simple, but they are very profound if you practice them. Take this sheet, put it on your refrigerator, and before you say something, look at the side that shows the feeling faces. 
And that's not all the feelings that exist, but it's some of them. Figure out what you're feeling. Figure out if you, if you have resentment already in your heart. If you have resentment already in your heart, go to your prayer closet, confess your resentment. The Father will forgive you. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In effect, he says, no problem. My son died. If it's sincere, you know, it has to be sincere. It has to be from your toes. And then once you've gotten your heart right, now you go to your brother, your sister, your spouse, and you say, this is how I feel. And many times, I'll start it with an an apology. If I have to confront someone because I fell into resentment, I'll go and I'll say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I got resentful the other day because of what you said, and I need to apologize for that. Approach it humbly and honestly, and you'll be received much better. If If you practice these three simple things and you make them a habit, then they will become part of your life and you can stay free because Jesus died so that we could be free. And the truth is we don't have to live in resentment. We don't have to live in bondage. He did the work, but we got to use his grace that's available to us. We have to make a decision. Forgiveness is a choice that you make. It's not a feeling. If, if you wait to feel like forgiving, you'll never forgive. You have to choose in spite of your feelings. Then the bondage is broken. Then the feelings of relief will come. And then you can say what you feel without hurting the other's feelings because you don't have resentment in your heart. Let's pray. Father, your word is clear. Your promises are true. Your way is simple. But it's very hard to follow because we have an enemy that opposes us. We have bad habits that are in place. The sins of the fathers have been visited upon the third and fourth generation. Without you, we can do nothing. We humbly stand before you here today and ask for your forgiveness for all of our resentments. We place all of them before you. It's not worth being in bondage. No matter what they've done, no matter what hardship we have to accept as the consequence of their sin, we, c- we confess our sin of resentment toward everyone. We lay it down. We choose by the power that we have in Jesus Christ to lay it down. And we humbly ask for your forgiveness for holding on to that sin of resentment. And we're thankful and grateful that you forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Help these words to stay permanently ingrained in our hearts. Help these sheets not to get lost or thrown out and maybe even copied and given to friends so that we can learn to walk in the love and the joy and the peace that you intended for us to do. I ask that you would bless us as we go through this week and that you would give us a good week, that we would be able to meditate on this as we go through the week. Uh, that we might even have examples that would allow it to sink deeper into our heart. We don't like correction, but it's only because you love us and because we're your children that you do. 
So thank you for everything. We ask for the prayer of the Spirit to complete this prayer. And we pray in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Uh, Dennis loves you. And so have a good week. I love you too.